know when you come to someone's house and you've never been over there before and they keep you in the living room? <laughs> you just never quite make it out that living room. Oh, I love the place. Yes, you sit right here. People are not used to having visitors come over and survey every room in your house and tour every room in your house to see how you really live in. You hear what I'm saying? Looking under the bed. Could you imagine I came over? This is a nice place. What you got up under here? Going through your drawers. You like these? You wear these? People who have access to every area of your house are not called visitors. Right? People who live there have access to every area. My children know how I keep my room. Why? They live there. Is Jesus able to kick his feet up in your heart? Is he comfortable with your desires? Is he comfortable with your feelings? Is he comfortable with your, your affections, your passions? Is he comfortable with your impulses? You got your check? Do you really need one more purse? How many places can I put my wallet in? Go to Ephesians, third chapter, verses 16 through 21. Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 16 through 21. Amen. I'm going to be in the King James Version for now, yes. Amen. Amen. Ephesians. Third chapter, 16 through 21. I entitled this message, The Love That Changes Everything. The Love That Changes Everything. Amen? Amen. The Word of God reads that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell. In your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which pathes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do. Say that with me, now. Unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The love that changes everything, Dave. That's our title. Amen. All right. Now, I'm going to go into this portion of Scripture, but I want to kind of set it up a little differently today because... I've been hovering uh, in the Old Testament and looking at some things and seeing some parallels that are rather astounding. And we are able to look back while the Old Testament 
believers, we're looking forward. So we have an advantage today because we understand uh, with clarity and having Bibles written and, and having the word in front of us, we understand with clarity what the setup was all about. Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. The Savior of the world. The one who would forgive us of our sins. Amen. Solomon, King Solomon, at one point in time in his life, set out to understand the true meaning of life or the true meaning of human existence. And he was determined to discover the good life. Now, he richly endowed with wisdom and comfortably, comfortably, comfortably cushioned by great wealth, King Solomon thought that if anybody could figure out how to find lasting satisfaction, it would be him. Amen? Now, let me say to you this, um, in, upon reading the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, in my opinion, is probably the most depressing book ever written on the planet. Right? I don't know how many people have, you know, some people skip over the Old Testament. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you, you come away with some really depressing thoughts. Amen? Um, but the key to understanding this book is a phrase that he mentions about 29 times in this short book. It says, everything under the sun. Under the sun. So this book honestly represents human reasoning based on Solomon's findings and observations of what he experienced while he was on the planet. And his observations uh, were confined to the understanding that you can get on this earth under the sun only. Okay? All right. So his observations and what he found out come basically from human frustration, human knowledge, human understanding, unaided by. God's perspective. So Solomon, when he's writing this, is unaided by how God sees things. Amen? That's interesting to know that that's in, a, that's in your Bible. Okay? So, however, what Solomon observed is something that we can all identify with. If you really are paying attention to what's going on on this planet, if you're not frustrated yet, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> Amen? So let me just kind of set this uh, Ephesians, the third chapter, up a little bit. Go to Ecclesiastes um, 1, verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to go, you know, kind of spot check some things and kind of give you a little taste. Amen. All right. These are the words of the teacher. Some translations say the preacher. The teacher, King David's son, which lets us know that this is definitely authored by King Solomon. Amen. He was the only one of David's children who was actually king. Uh, who ruled in Jerusalem? He says this at the very beginning of the book. Everything is meaningless. Everything. He's basically saying vanity in, some, in the King James Version. says vanity. In other words, everything is completely and totally pointless says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? There's that statement again. 
under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1 and 14, same chapter going down to the 14th verse. Solomon says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Wow. Chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes, second chapter, 10th verse and 11th verse. Solomon says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. <laughs> Again, like chasing the wind. There is nothing really worthwhile anywhere. It's a very interesting perspective that he had. Skipping down to the fourth chapter, Ecclesiastes 4.4. Solomon says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. <laughs> so we're working hard, trying to get a bunch of stuff, because honestly, I'm jealous of you. <laughs> you know, I, I've even felt it. I got an old Lexus. I don't buy, buy new cars anymore. But I got an old Lexus, but I was driving... My car one day, parked my car, and my neighbor down the street, another black man, you know, he's doing his thing, got a nice little family, stuff like that. He pulls up in a brand new version of what I got, and I said, God bless you. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Deep in my heart, that's what I said, what I was saying. But Jesus, if he was sitting in the passenger seat, he would have been like, mm. We, 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 you know, Solomon says that, you know, most of the stuff that we're trying to get, we're looking at somebody else. Amen? Amen. He said, but this, is all, this too is also meaningless, like chasing the wind. Ecclesiastes 6, chapter 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes 6, 1 and 2. There's another serious tragedy. Solomon says, I have seen under the sun again. It weighs heavily on my humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want, but then he doesn't give them a chance to enjoy these things. Interesting. He says, they die. And someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. He says, this is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. So you work all your life, and then you finally get to the point to where you've stacked up some money, and you got your retirement, and you plan this trip that you're going to go to some exotic island. I made it! And I'm about to bust up out of here and get what's coming to me. You book your flight, and then eventually, as you're calling, or you're on the computer booking your flight, you start coughing. <laughs> A little sniffle here and there. Get a little bit of a headache. You go get checked out. Go to the doctors. You find out that you got six months to live. You end up giving all your riches to your son who lives in your garage and does nothing but plays video games. You worked hard all your life and he's just sitting there doing this. And all that money. Going to somebody who's just been mooching off you. 40 years old in your basement. 
Solomon says it's meaningless to set up. Something's not right. Amen? Ecclesiastes 9, 11 and 12. Just setting it up. Solomon says, I observed some things under the sun. Something else under the sun. Here's, this is the one that got me. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. The skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance and by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. Very interesting. You know, you, you try to do the right things. Let me get an education, try to, you know, do what I'm supposed to do. You know, I've been working a job faithfully several years, waiting for them to notice you and give you a promotion. You know, and then your coworker who's cheating on his wife and using drugs over the weekend and straightening up before Monday, they go ahead and give him the promotion. And you're sitting there going, Lord, do you see this? <laughs> they will do anything to get even or do anything to get ahead or do anything to get by. And meanwhile, we in church every week living holy, praying, doing what is right, stuck. Company people don't even see. Thank you very much, Mr. Hawkins. See you Monday. <laughs> You're going to go home with the same check you came here with last week. Right? Solomon said he's seen stuff like this where the wicked prosper. And at the end of it all, <laughs> the people who are living holy and the people who are doing wrong, you end up in the, the same cemetery next to each other. Isn't that interesting? He says it's meaningless. We're trying hard to get somewhere. And he said on this planet, what he has experienced is just totally pointless. He doesn't understand it. Now, here's the thing, saints. Second Chronicles 9.22 through 24 says this. Second Chronicles 9.22 through 24 says this. I want you to see who Solomon really was. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on the earth. Kings from every nation came to consult him and to hear wisdom that God had given him. Verse 24 says, year after year, everyone who visited him brought him gifts of silver, gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. So Solomon wants to know what the meaning of life is, but he attempts to do all these things by using his God-given abilities and talents, which makes him very rich because, as you know the story, Solomon wanted to be king, but he asked God, you know, how am I going to rule over these people? And God made a promise to him. Nobody will ever be richer. No one will ever be wiser. And to this day, God kept that promise. 
Nobody has been, let me just give you some, some points so you can understand this. Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, whatever how you pronounce his name, from Amazon. That's a very rich dude. Okay? Bill Gates, very rich. Elon Musk, we all trying to get his car. The Tesla, very rich. Warren Buffett, even when he makes a bad move in, 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 uh, in, in stocks, he just ends up even richer. I don't, know, I don't even know how it does. It's like, oh, I lost 40 billion. He gets 80 billion next week. It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. There's another guy by the name of Bernard Arnold. Some people don't even know who he is. He owns everything. I'm telling you, you guys are wet Gucci, Louis Vuitton. He owns every single, almost every single major name brand is underneath his company. So everybody's talking about, you know, I got a big company, blah, blah, blah. More than likely, Bernard Arnold, he owns it. You're paying him a percentage. This guy is worth $208 billion. But watch this. King Solomon was said to be worth $2.2 trillion. Nobody has topped his money yet. Nobody has been wiser as far as human wisdom than Solomon. Nobody's richer. Nobody's wiser. God kept his promise. Nobody topped Solomon. He got more money than all those guys. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So here's the question that we have to ask. Why did God stick the book of Ecclesiastes in our Bible and ordain that book that it would be inspired when it's basically coming from a man who was unaided by God as far as what wisdom really is? Why do we have that in our Bible? Why do we have a guy talking to us at a time and point in his life where he never rose above the sun, under the sun. Amen? Why is that included in the Bible? Well, first of all, here's the thing I want you to understand. The book was included so that we would never, ever have to go through the same terrible, dismal experience that Solomon went through, searching for satisfaction and understanding in places where they cannot be found. Amen? Natural man instinctively thinks that he can make himself happy through possessions, through pleasures. He said, I tried everything. He said, I, everything I wanted, I just took it. Everything I want to know, I just researched it. All that stuff that Solomon had the ability to do. Natural man will always try to make themselves rich or happy or satisfied through possessions and pleasures or travel. I got a close relative. He was like, you know, I just can't wait until I'm retired. I'm about to book my trip. I've already got my island picked out. He's got a little bit of money. But they're sick. Isn't that interesting? All this setup, and now they're sick. I don't know what. Just like that. We tried. Legal means, or we try drugs, liquor, sex. That's what the broke folks do. <laughs> Indulgence of some type of, you know, some way or another. But the message of this book is that someone wiser and wealthier than everybody else will ever be tried this and failed. <laughs> 
and the Bible is recording this experiment so that you and I will know that the, the top 1% that we're all trying to get to, they don't have what they think they have, and they don't have what we think they have. Amen? Are you following me so far? Very interesting point. We get into things because we're searching for something. We want life to make sense. We want fulfillment, am I right? Everybody, I just want to belong. <laughs> I just want to have something. I want, I want this to make sense. All right? I want my life to be, you know, I want it to count in some real significant way. I want to make a big contribution. I want you to know that I was here. Right? Isn't that it? I was born and I did some things. You hear me? <laughs> but what we really are looking for and what we really need is Christ. Christ and his love. Not just to know about his love, but to have a life where we experience his love. He is what we've been searching for. And this is the thing. Sin has turned our hearts from contentment with God to desire for things that can never, ever satisfy. Jesus is the only cure for sin's disease and our spiritual blindness, which, can I be totally honest with you, makes us kind of stupid. Because we've seen the last guy, what happened to him, and he fell off. And I just want to be like this person. And then we find out they got on drugs and died and whatever, had a horrible life. And the next generation goes, I want to do the same thing. I want my Super Bowl ring. And then you find out their life is all janky and messed up. And then the next generation forgets about that lesson and we do it all over again. Another sucker is born every generation. And can we be honest with ourselves? Have we been there? So here's the thing. Now go to Ephesians 3, 16. With that set up, here we go. Help me, Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't pray to the Ephesians church or for the Ephesian church, rather, that they would end up with all the world's riches. He doesn't ask God to make <laughs> the Ephesian church repeat the lesson or the experience of Solomon and make all the believers trillionaires, obviously. Right? He prays that we would love the one that made this world and yet came to this world without a dime to his name. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. Born, thank you, Donna, born in a manger with animals. Obviously, God is not thinking like we are. Obviously, he has more important things that he wants to give us. And we're thinking, you know, if I were to try to set up my son, Jamie, little Jamie, got on piano. If I were to try to set him up and I brought him down to earth, he would have the fattest music studio Keyboards everywhere. You know what I mean? Get outside, have his nice little ride, big old car. They'd be like, Jamie's son is here. People would be like, ah, I want to be like Jamie. And here's the thing. God 
wants us to be like Jesus, and he sends Jesus, his son, the most precious son, to the earth without a dime to his name. What are we thinking? We are not like God, are we? Our thinking's backwards. Are you hearing me? So, Ephesians 3.16, here we go. Paul is praying that we would grow deeper in the experience of God's love. He prays that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Ah. You're in the wrong version, but it's okay. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. God is praying, or Paul is praying, rather, that this Ephesians church would understand that you're going to need unlimited strength. And isn't it wonderful that God just happens to have that? He's praying that you would get riches, you know, according to his riches in glory. Strength according to his riches in glory. Strength from God's unlimited resources. He's not saying that the Ephesians church... Lord, give them the scraps or the leftovers of what you got. No, he's saying, I want them to be loaded with strength. Amen? He's praying that we will be able to tap into the unlimited resources, the the power of God. Amen? In order to do what? To be strengthened with might, with power by his Holy Spirit in the inner man. Being born is a great thing to be. We all have had life. But being born again is even greater. Now, after we've been born again, what we need now is power, strength in our inner man to grow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? To grow up and mature. Amen? Not power to do miracles. That's not what he's praying. Not power to change our circumstances. Not power and strength to get out of whatever process that God has us in. No. He's saying, very simple, very key, in your inner man. What do you need inner strength for? You need it for endurance because it's in the endurance that you are transformed. It's in the pressure cooker. Amen. That you become like Jesus. Not in the instant where we are able to bypass all of our discomfort. He's not praying for that. He's saying give them inner strength so they can mature and become like Jesus. Are you hearing me? Very different than what a lot of mega churches teach you. I need inner strength for what? To drive your Bentley? No. You don't need inner strength to drive a Bentley. You need inner strength to go through all this craziness. That God has allowed to strengthen you to become more and more like Jesus. Oh. The Holy Spirit must impart strength for every single step of the journey. Why? So the believer is stabilized. You know? You, when you lift weights, they say the first thing you got to do is you got to strengthen your core. Right? Your core enables you to be like. (laughs) That's how he wants his believers looking. Confident. Knowing that we are children of God. 
When you see her, you be like, you know, something different about that girl over there. She knows something I don't know. She got something I ain't got. What she got? Strength in her inner man. Ah. Which means that some things will not be easy for us on purpose, folks. Amen? God will design a struggle. Trust me, I know. I'm in one right now. And the struggle is changing me from old Jamie into new Jamie by force. It's just like you can't get around this one, boy. <laughs> Only way through it is through it. Okay? Right. All right. So he's praying that you will be strengthening your inner man so you can actually endure the trials that God allows for us to be stabilized. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. By faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. All right. That word dwell is like the word comfortable. So he's praying that Jesus is not only in your heart at the time when you believed Jesus Christ and received him. I don't like the word accept. I like the word receive. You receive him as your Savior. Amen? You receive him as your Savior. And that's good. That's necessary. But he's praying here, this word dwell means comfortable. What he's saying is that Jesus can make himself comfortable in your heart. Jesus can make himself at home in you. He's not talking about your heart organ. Amen? He's not talking about the the physical part of the body. He's talking about the center of your spiritual life that informs every decision you make. Getting to the heart of the matter, so to speak. Okay? That Christ would dwell in and inform all your decisions. That Christ would be, let's try it again, that Christ would be comfortable with what you're thinking. Oh. He's praying that there would be no place in your heart that he does not have access to. I don't know why my nose is running, but I'm going to preach anyway. (laughs) He's praying that there would be no decision, oh, I love this, where Jesus is not considered. I don't just go and do stuff. I think about, Jesus, you okay with this? That Christ would dwell comfortably in your heart. We'll deal with that by faith in just a minute. There are some people who treat Jesus like he's a temporary guest. Amen? You know when you come to someone's house and you've never been over there before, and they keep you in the living room. (laughs) You just never quite make it out that living room. Oh, I love the place. Yes, you sit right here. Where's the bathroom? You go to the guest bathroom. Are you hearing me? People are not used to having visitors come over and survey every room in your house and tour every room in your house to see how you really live in. You hear what I'm saying? Looking under the bed. Could you imagine I came over? This is a nice place. What you got up under here? Going through your drawers. You like these? You wear these? (laughs) 
people who have access to every area of your house are not called visitors. Right? People who live there have access to every area. My children know how I keep my room. Why? They live there. Amen. Is Jesus able to kick his feet up in your heart? Is he comfortable with your desires? Is he comfortable with your feelings? Is he comfortable with your, your affections, your passions? Is he comfortable with your impulses? You got your check? Do you really need one more purse? How many places can I put my wallet in? <laughs> Think about it. I got 90 shoes for every dress or suit just in case. Is Jesus comfortable with your... In oh, it's it got quiet up in here. Woo! <laughs> People are like... You see it, Dave? Should we stay there for a minute? <laughs> Better move on before you catch a brick. All right. Is Jesus comfortable with your thoughts? Huh? Huh? How do you really feel about so-and-so? Is Jesus comfortable with that? Huh? We, like I said, we may say something, but what's really going on in our hearts? Is Jesus comfortable with your motive? Well, Pastor, I, you know, I serve on this such and such and such committee. And Pastor, I, I, you know, I, I'm really faithful to the church. And I'm always, you know, I'm always at such and such. And you know, whatever, whatever the church needs, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there. That's, that's great. What about your motive? Jesus knows not only what you're doing, but why you're doing it. Is he comfortable that Christ may dwell in your heart? Is he comfortable with your, mo with your motives, your thoughts, your, your word choices? You, you may not curse, but you might be an angry person. You know, I could, I could let you have it without one curse word. I'm good at it. This is an area I have to pray for. I talk for a living. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, we didn't, we didn't, is, is, is Jesus comfortable with your music? Mm. Quiet. Now, some people say, well, Pastor, I put Frankie and Beverly Mays away years ago. I don't listen to that stuff anymore, Pastor. What about some of the Christian music that you listen to that don't agree with God? We got songs that are lying on God. Is Jesus comfortable with that? Do we repent immediately of the things that we are forcing Jesus to live with? In an environment where he has no say about his living conditions? That's the question. That Christ may dwell in your heart. That word means comfortably. That Christ may dwell in your heart, we move on. By faith. By faith meaning believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus only comes to live in your heart by having faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
completely trusting and relying on the work of Christ and what he has done on the cross to save us from our sins, knowing that it is finished on the cross because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is salvation. But we're not just talking about a salvation statement. We're not talking about a statement of faith here. What he's saying is, is, is it, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, comfortably in your hearts by faith, not just by a statement, but also, you know, faith that shows works. There must be actions that accompany the faith in order for people to see and believe that you really do have faith in Jesus. And here we go. Are we constantly depending on Jesus? Are we constantly surrendering to Jesus? Do we have Jesus, you know, as our strength every step of the way? Huh? Do we display in our lives that we lean on him in times of strength and times of weakness? Here's a good one. Do we display in our lives that we lean on Jesus when we are feeling like we're weak and we're feeling like we're strong? That second one you got to be careful of. Because when you think you're at your best and you decide to leave the Holy Spirit to the side or kick him to the side and be like, I got this on my own. That's when we find out just how much we are not trusting in God and how strong we really are and how strong we really are not. Amen? When we are feeling good, when we are feeling bad, when we are feeling weak, it is by faith in Jesus Christ, not just as a statement, but I'm leaning on you. Paul is praying that you do not use what Solomon used, which is your talents and your gift and your ability. He said, no, what you need to understand, understand is that you're going to need to lean on the Holy Spirit every single moment of your life. That's faith in action. That's not just I'm a Christian. That's like I'm a Christian, but I need him. Because I won't make it because I know me. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me finish this up. Now, once Jesus is in your heart and he is the one that you're surrendering to and depending on, now that Jesus is, in, is comfortable and he can rule and lead you and govern you because you have given him access to all the secret places and areas in your life, now that Jesus is seated comfortable in a place where he actually deserves to be, Paul says, now that you're being rooted and grounded in love. Wow. Rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of this love. All right. Being rooted and grounded in love is a place where your identity is truly settled. You function and you live by the word of God and what God says about you. You are affirmed by his love. This is not an easy place to get to because most of us have been trained to be affirmed by the external things. Okay? But he's saying, Paul is praying that we are affirmed by his love. When we know that we are loved... It changes everything. As I said, love that changes everything about you. It changes everything about who you are, how you think of yourself, what you do, why you do it, how you even feel about it. It changes everything when you know that God loves you. The goal is that we would function from a foundation of being rooted and grounded in love and not what my dad taught me, which is the opposite of love, which is not hate, but it's lust. 
I never forget that lesson. It has changed my life. You can actually pinpoint certain motives because you know whether or not you're functioning out of love or functioning out of your own lust. Not hate. Lust. Woo! Amen? Lust has to do with what we desire. When we function from a place of our lust, we are functioning out of our basic appetite. Where I want what I want, I get what I'm going to get, and I'm going to do whatever I can do to get it. Amen? We, we would like, I function out of what I would like to happen for me. Okay? It's all about me. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. What I want it to be about is Christ. So it can't be about you. On the contrary, if your foundation is not lust but love, then we function out of what God desires, not out of what I desire. Okay? So he's praying this, saints. What God desires for us is not that we have, have, have. What God desires is that we're kind, that we're selfless, we're forgiving, we are broken, we are meek, which is power under control. Amen? What he is praying is that we actually end up being and looking like Jesus because we're rooted and grounded love. I won't have to be distracted by everything that I think I want. I can actually finally get down to business as to why I'm really here. What am I here to do? To look like Jesus. If I'm not functioning on my lust, but my love for God, and I'm rooted and grounded in his love for me, you can attach whatever you want to to my life. It doesn't make a difference to me. What I'm focused on is, am I going to be like Jesus today? He's praying that for the church. Amen. Functioning from a place where it's not so much about getting, but giving. Where it's not so much about me being pleased, but about whether or not this pleases God. Man, if the believers were to do that, could you imagine the world where we were functioning out of the love of God, where we were so rooted and grounded in the identity that we are loved by God that all we get up doing and thinking about is how are we going to look like God? What would happen? Wow. Be rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Amen? The love between the Father and His Son was all that Jesus ever needed. He was fully satisfied in that love. This is what Paul wants us to know and experience. Amen? Imagine being rooted and grounded in love to the point where you are able to understand all that, where you understand the breadth of his love, that it's wide enough to cover every possible experience that we go through and keep us in spite of what we're dealing with. Where the love of God uh, is, is something we can understand, where we can understand the length of his love, where he is enough for all of us, for our whole entire lifetime, where he chose us before we were even born, before you got saved. And not just that, he'll be here with you in your life after you're saved. And not only that, he'll be with you all the way through eternity. And not only that, when does eternity end? The love that he has for us that we will understand, we understand the length of his love, it just never stops. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's going to be loving us forever. What would that change in you, understanding that I didn't do anything to get this love? He loves me now. He's going to love me tomorrow. 
And when I go to heaven, he's going to keep loving me through all, all eternity. Yeah. Amen. Love that is high enough. Understand the height of his love. To when I'm at my lowest of times, when I'm in despair or distur- discouragement, when things try to keep me down, his love lifts me above it. Are you hearing me? Enabling me to go day by day, one more day, trusting in his love. And the depth of his love. Love that is deeper. Deeper than all the mess we can get ourselves into. (laughs) Thank God for that. Amen? Just when I think I messed up beyond redemption. Oh. Just when I think I've messed up to the point to where God cannot reach me. Just when I think I've just completely blown it. There is a bottom basement level that I've gone to. And when I look down, his love is still deeper than that. His love is still deeper than that. His love is still deeper to to pull me out, to rescue me, to forgive me, to give me another chance, even though I said I wouldn't do it again. God's love is deeper than the hole I can get myself into. My goodness. He's praying that we will understand that, saints. You know, and here's the thing about it. We are going around looking, trying to find that kind of love in people. It doesn't exist. I'm going to tell you right now, you got five chances. Before I start to get smart. <laughs> you know how we are. People just go, you know what, that's it. You know, I, this is abuse. I went to counseling and found out this is abuse. I'm done. God never does that to us. He never does that to us. It's that love and acceptance. He keeps saying, now come on, get up. Get up, do it again. Come on, come on, come on. Get up, get up, get up. You can't stay there. You can't abuse that or take that for granted. But when you know you have that kind of love, what does that make you do? You know what? What what am I doing here? I need to run to Jesus. What am I doing here? I can't stay in this filth. I can't stay in this mess. He loves me too much. His love is deeper. Amen? Amen. And to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Last point. It's too much for me to understand or even comprehend. Okay? It's past knowledge. It's something that we are, hear me, saints, privileged to experience. Okay? We may not be able to explain it, but Paul is saying, I want you to experience it. Okay? If we are blessed to have this love and experience be the thing that we are most prioritizing, what we desire the most, what we long for on a daily basis, then we will be able to escape the folly of Solomon. You hear that? Okay, man? Amen? He had everything and he still wasn't satisfied. Right? He was rich but empty. Amen? What was missing? What did he long for? It says here in the Bible in verse 19, the fullness of God, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Here's the thing, saints. To know the love of Christ to where we become so intimate with him and so intimate with God on a day-by-day basis that our quest for things that we want to have is trumped by our desire for God. 
He becomes our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, In him dwelleth all the fullness of God, the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Amen? We are complete. Once we understand that, amen, and have that love and function out of that love, amen, we'll realize that we are full. Amen? So if he becomes your treasure, you can experience this love of God in a way that you realize that you're not lacking anything. That's the whole key. Now, last verse, and we're done. I kept saying that, but this is it. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we can ask or even think, according to the power that worketh in you, right? From the place where your foundation is love. Oh, somebody's getting it. Somebody's getting over here is getting it. Praise the Lord. From the place where you are living in the fullness. Now God is able to do. <laughs> ah! Exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think. Okay? Why? Because he's in our hearts and he's in his rightful place. Amen? So I'm not even thinking the way I would normally be thinking. Oh, yes, he can blow our mind. But here's the thing, saints. The beautiful thing is not so much, God, give me this incredible thing. No, the beautiful thing is, God, help me to recognize what you've already given me. You see it? Because even with the most incredible things, what did Solomon do? He ended up unsatisfied. So now... Unto him. Amen? This refers to the Holy Spirit who is constantly at work in our lives, seeking to produce the fruit of Christ-like character, rebuking us huh, because of our sin, guiding us in prayer, inspiring us in worship, directing us in service. And the more we are yielded to him, the greater will be his effectiveness in our life in conforming us to Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, saints. If you have it all, but you're not becoming like Christ, you have nothing. You have nothing. All right, you have nothing. I believe that the place of love where we are so wonderfully distracted by Jesus Christ that we don't realize that even if we can have everything the world has to offer, we don't even care. You know? There's a place where you can be so distracted by Jesus Christ that if the world gives you everything, you go, you know... Ah, when you think about who Jesus Christ really is, the master of the known and unknown universe, and he comes here not getting a bunch of stuff, what did that tell us? Think that through. It's exactly the opposite of what Satan is saying. Satan's biggest trick is to try to trick you into thinking that you have to get something. You have to get something that you already have. That's how he gets us. Here's everything. I want that tree, though. No, no, listen. No, I told you don't touch that. You have everything. Yeah, but what about that, though? Why can't, why can't I have that, though? 
It looked good. And I've been talking to this snake, and this snake said, I can have, you know, you keeping something from me. I know you gave me everything. But I want that tree, though. <laughs> Isn't that it? That's it. That's the whole trick. It's not a new trick. It's been played on a lot, a lot of new people. That's all it is. All right. Jesus said, John 4, 13, 14. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. <laughs> but those who drink from the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, here's the thing. I cannot produce this on my own. I cannot drum up the Christian discipline to cause myself to experience this love at the level that Paul is talking about. This is something that is graced to us. It is given by grace. He's praying because he knows we can't do it. So what we have to do, saints, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to say this. We are praying that God would allow us to experience this grace. And you know what I believe? Whatever this level that he's talking about of love is, I'm not there yet. I don't know if anybody's there yet. But here's the thing, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe when you're talking about experience of love, we experience it incrementally. Day by day, I get to know more and more of his love. So what I have to do is I tell my flesh, no. I know I want to do what I would normally do. Lord, help me to prioritize Jesus. Because in my own flesh, I'm going to go after a bunch of stuff that don't matter, that I'm going to have to pray for him to get me out of when I find out it ain't about nothing. He wasn't about nothing. She wasn't about nothing. Come on now. We got the story. We got the proof. You can write a movie about it. They wasn't about nothing. God, get me out of here. I thought that's what you wanted. I know that's what I said, but I mean, you, I didn't know. Can you do something about this person, please? Pull me out. Can you? I need to ask God to help me. Because my default setting says chase everything like Solomon did. And what Jesus is telling us is I'm all you ever need. My love changes everything. Everything. Amen. Is that your prayer this week? Is that your prayer this week? Huh? Distract me, Jesus. (laughs) Move me, Jesus. Take my touch. Look at my schedule, God. You know what I want to put on there. What about you? Amen. Love that changes everything. I'm done. Amen. Amen.